Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Jason Dusing and Dr. Nathan Finn to the podcast. Dr. Dusing serves here at Midwestern Seminary as provost and professor of historical theology. Dr. Finn serves as the provost and dean of university faculty at North Greenville University in South Carolina. Recently, these two gentlemen uh, edited and uh, published their newest work, Historical Theology for the Church. Dr. Dusing, Dr. Finn, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thanks so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation for some time with you, friends, and uh, before that, looking forward to your book coming out. And of course, I I knew it was in the works for many years in conversations with Dr. Ducing and just waiting to see it get out there and to serve the church. And of course, I, I love the title, Historical Theology for the Church. And those three words mean so much to me and to this institution. And uh, I'm just thankful to see it even on the cover of this book. So I want to get into the book and uh, topics about historical theology and, and really specifically in that genre as we think about how that intersects with local church ministry and pastors and seminary students and those who would want to give careful thought to these matters. Before we get into that, though, let's give our listeners a, a few words of update. And Dr. Finn, I'm going to start with you. What's new with your ministry and your family as, as you refer to them as the Finlings? Tell us an update. So I would say the two key updates with our family and our ministry is we now have two teenagers in our household. And so that's been just a, the brave new world of parenting teenagers. We have two children that are not teenagers yet, but we have two teenagers. And as far as ministry, uh, man, goodness, trying to trying to do theological education in the age of COVID-19. I tell people that we're we're not always having fun, but what we're doing matters, and we're ready to get on the other side of this so we can start doing it and having more fun again. Well, amen to that. And listen, one other word of uh, elaboration from you. Tell us what's uh, on the docket for you by way of writing projects and what you're currently thinking about, working on, or perhaps uh, is on the horizon for you. Yeah, I'm currently working on two writing projects, uh, myself and David Dockery and Danny Aiken are editing a theology handbook uh, that's called a Theological Handbook for the People of God. So I describe it as something like an Oxford handbook of Christian theology, but written for conservative Bible-believing evangelicals. And so collection of essays from lots of contributors, we're very excited about that. And then my personal project is I'm uh, writing a chapter on the doctrine of the atonement for a revised version of the Systematic Theology Textbook of Theology for the Church, uh, which actually Jason Dusing and I's uh, book we're talking about today is in some ways kind of a companion volume uh, to that. But uh, there's a new edition of that coming out, God willing, in 2023. And so spending a lot of time during this Easter season reflecting on uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection and what uh, Christ has done for us and for our salvation. So those are kind of the two big projects. Dr. Dusing, give us an update on you and life and ministry and family and, and uh, writing projects. Uh, thank you. I'm um, uh, wrapping up, coming around third on my seventh year at, at Midwestern, and uh, my family and I have just enjoyed very much uh, living here and working here and serving uh, at this school and in these days. Our family's doing very well, uh, very similar to Nathan, two teenagers and two who are not, and uh, all the Really, the fun that comes with that, although it is a, a new world, as as Nathan says well. 
Um, and uh, otherwise, just, yeah, it's similarly navigating COVID-19, um, but grateful for really the ways that, um, you know, God's blessed Midwestern Seminary and sounds like North Greenville as well in terms of giving us a path forward to navigate through all this. And your four kids now are ages 18 to 8, is that right, or 18 to 7? Kind of one, yeah, 17 to 7. 17 to 7. Mm-hmm. Okay, cl- close. So, so also give us a word of update, Dr. Ducing, as to what are forthcoming projects from you, kind of what's on the docket. Sure. We're um, nearly finished with the editing of The Lost Sermons of C.H. Spurgeon. It'll be seven volumes in total, uh, five volumes. The fifth volume is about to appear. We'll have the sixth in the fall. And then the massive uh, kind of capstone volume, volume seven, a year after that. Uh, that's really an institutional project. I have the opportunity to be the general editor, working with the team of editors on that. Um, and then uh, I have a few chapters and some books coming out, but I actually have a a brand new children's book uh, coming out here in May with B&H Kids uh, that essentially, for your listeners will understand, but applies the doctrine of general revelation um, in in terms of how we can look out in the world God's made and see his attributes and the ways he's revealed himself. Well, we look forward to seeing that, and uh, we collectively look forward as well to the remaining volumes of the Law Sermons getting out. So thank you for your skillful hand there. So we're talking today about historical theology, and, uh, and, and frankly, how does it differ from what we might refer to as biblical or systematic theology? And I guess even before we get into the book, just thinking conceptually about the topic. You men are trained historical theologians, so it's natural for you to write a book on this, and we'll get to that momentarily. But but first, how does this differ? How should we think about these as different and even you know, complementing fields of study? And uh, Dr. Finn, let me, let me turn to you to answer that question. So there are lots of really great, excuse me, kind of textbooky definitions of historical theology, and, and Jason has a really great one uh, in our book. But whenever I'm talking to pastors in particular about historical theology, I define it as uh, the history of Christian theological thinking from biblical times to the day before yesterday. Uh, And so it's really just taking all of those big doctrinal categories and even often ethical and what's become philosophical categories and looking at how those ideas have developed uh, from really the end of the New Testament era uh, until right before our own era. And how is that different from biblical or systematic theologies? So biblical theology is tends to be uh, tracing themes across the scriptures. Uh, So like maybe, for example, uh, tracing the idea of temple or tabernacle across the scriptures, Uh, whereas systematic theology tends to take these theological categories like salvation or scripture or the church and looking at everything that the Bible says about those topics. And when biblical and systematic and historical theology all come together, uh, we have uh, what I call lowercase t theology, uh, just kind of a, a holistic approach to thinking Christianly about God and everything else uh, that God created. Uh, so uh, they're they're very much complementary disciplines for theologians. And Dr. Ducing, not to get bogged down here, but uh, but but to what extent should our listeners, seminary students, local church pastors, to what extent should they be thinking intentionally in different categories as it relates to exploring the full galaxy of theological studies? I think help. I think it's helpful to think to encourage people to think in different categories, and maybe this is a good way to answer that question. Um, the idea of doing theology or 
studying the Bible among believers to sort of group together different texts and to organize them into doctrines so that we can have a conversation with one another on how we're going to do something like church planting or how we're going to do something like combat a heresy. Throughout history, that's always been done by, for the majority of history, churches. The idea of sort of your uh, Lone Ranger theologian coming up with new theology is a relatively modern thing. And so doing historical theology really for its history has always been done by churches for churches. From the early councils, the Reformation was all about churches trying to figure out who they are and, and whether they need to form something else on into the modern period. So I, I think I would posit the answer to your question this way in that I think it's helpful for people to know the different categories, the way in which to look at the Bible and to form doctrine, but not lose sight of the purpose for doing so, and that it's throughout history, it's always, theology has always been done mostly and in a most healthy way by churches or church leaders for churches. So you guys both are trained historians, uh, both seminary degrees, PhD degrees. And so in a sense, it's natural that the two of you partner in a book like this. In fact, everyone who knows you guys, uh, you know, no surprise whatsoever, this la- book lands on our desk by, uh, edited by you two. But just because it's natural that you undertake a book project doesn't mean that one will or perhaps even should. So I'm, I'm curious, what prompted this book project? Dr. Ducing, why don't you go first? Well, every book has a story. This one has a long one, so I'll give you the, the brief version. But um, uh, I can remember actually you and I having a conversation ab- about this idea during my early years at, at Midwestern. Um, there was some uh, new leadership at BNH Academic, and you had been talking with them about particular needs. They mentioned they had a need in the historical theology textbook category. So, you know, we talked about, you know, positioning that for the church. At the same time, those same uh, personnel, a, a good friend of Nathan and I, his name Chris Thompson, had talked to him about the need for a textbook in this area. So naturally there was a pairing of us um, uh, coming together. But the reason it's a long story is, is uh, and it's a surprising one too, is this started as, well, can you all put together a textbook to fill this need? And remarkably, it's really turned into a a beautiful project, but there were a lot of valleys in between. As you know, with an edited project like this, you have the people you ask are not the same people who end up contributing. Uh, Nathan is, uh, has, as I do as well, a very heavy administrative load, and so balancing that. There are a few times over the last six or seven years where this project almost didn't see the light of day for a variety of reasons, uh, but we're thankful it did. Nathan, any additional word there? Just one word. Uh, one of the uh one of the pits and valleys in some ways is that this was originally going to be a co-authored sort of volume instead of a collection of essays. And at one of those moments where we felt like this book might not see the light of day, we went to B&H and pitched the idea, what if it was a collection of essays instead of us co-writing it? Because as administrators, we're not sure that's ever going to be done. We persuaded them of that. And I, I'm not trying to be self-effacing, and I don't mean this as, as derogatory talk towards Jason Deucing either, but I think in God's providence, we have a much better book than if we, it would have been a co-authored volume uh, because we were able to invite so many people to the table who have greater expertise in particular areas than either of us do. And so I'm just thrilled that this project is so very different than what we conceived of. I think it's a greater gift to the church because of that, and we got to work with a lot of our friends. Well, and it really is an impressive list of contributors and also an intriguing uh, compilation of topics, which leads me to my next question. Uh, how did you guys determine which topics to undertake in a project like this where 
you know, the scope has to be limited by some degree. Um, early on, we had a, a pretty significant planning meeting at Cedarville University. We were hosted by Thomas White, who, who played a really a formative early role in this project. And uh, I remember meeting in a conference room really the whole day, wasn't it, Nathan, where we, we basically looked at other historical theology volumes, how they've tackled this thing. Greg Allison has a phenomenal volume with Zondervan and uh, really began to discuss, well, are we going to go era by era or doctrine by doctrine? And sort of came up with the, the template that is now the table of contents, breaking uh, into era by era. And then within that, the, the key doctrines. Obviously, we can't cover every significant doctrine in every era, but trying to have some consistency. And then once we uh, established that basic lineup, if you will, then it became, well, who out there um, would be the best fit um, to write this volume? Keeping in mind that the DNA of this project is to be tailored for the church, so people would understand what we're doing there. And then again, sharing our broader confessional uh, commitments and theological commitments. Nathan, any additional word on that front? No, I think that that's a very accurate rendering of what happened. So let me move then for the conversation, again, thinking about our listeners here who, who tend to be pastors, local church ministers, seminary students. And perhaps some of them are thinking, you know, boy, I, I remember church history in seminary. I remember theology class in seminary. And uh, perhaps there is not so much a conscious choice to kind of move beyond the study thereof, but, but just life happens, and pastoral demands happen, and children come along, and you find yourself with limited time. And so this is not just like a, an obvious pitch for the book or for you guys to pitch your book, but taking a step back, I do want you to pitch why it is important that these topics remain on the mind, not just of theologians, not just of academics, but on the mind of those engaged in local church ministry why historical theology is important, and indeed, why even some of these topics within the book are indeed sensitive and uh, urgent in our times. Dr. Dusing. Well, the, the role that historical theology can play uh, is just providing a little more depth and data and detail to the work that pastors are wrestling with in churches all the time. Every local church has a history and has a history of historical theology. And when a pastor comes to that congregation, he, he's spending months, sometimes even years, navigating what's gone on before and what's happened then. He's doing historical theology. So a book like this can come along and basically help him know he's not alone and also see where other, other places in history churches have wrestled with similar doctrines on a big scale, yes, but also on a, on a very granular level as well. And uh, some of the case study components in our books may even help them to see and to, and to think through. The analogy I give in the book is as if a pastor uh, or a person walks up and observes two people at a table playing chess. That person knows the game of chess. They're able to walk, watch the two people play against one another. They can even anticipate moves or sort of second guess, well, I would do this or that. And, and that's fine. That's one way we observe how, how theology is developed through history, different moves and things like this. But it's another thing if one person on the chess at the chess match gets up and asks you to take his place. Now you're walking into a game in the middle. And, and if you hadn't been watching, you're inheriting something where moves have already been made. You're inheriting somebody else's games. You're, you, you, you may be that much closer to, being, to losing the game or to winning the game. So it, help, it helps to have some sort of background knowledge. So when a pastor comes into a church or is joining a denomination of churches or is helping churches work through particular doctrinal issues, it sure helps to know what's gone, gone before locally, but also even globally throughout history. Uh, and we hope, hope this textbook can help, help remind them of things they know perhaps, but uh, put it in a, in a new way. And Nathan, kind of building on that, when you look at the book itself and the topics you engage, 
and, and the arrows. And I'm not going to read the table of contents here, but but the book is broken down into uh, into four eras: the, uh, the 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 patristic era, the medieval era, the Reformation era, and then the modern era. And then within that, you guys are tackling cop, uh, a topic such as uh, the personal work of Christ, the Trinity, uh, Scripture and tradition, uh, salvation, the Church. Uh, again, and then you come into uh, into the more modern era and talk about issues of, of authority and humanity and eschatology. And so not just the book coming together and like why those topics, but the current relevance of those topics, even as they're framed historically for the church in the year 2021. Unpack that for us, Nathan. So there's really two complementary reasons why we picked those doctrines in particular. One reason is because they tend to be the uh, the most important, if you will, perennial doctrines that, from a historical standpoint, the church has debated, reflected on, uh, refined whenever they've been challenged by heretical voices and non-Christian voices. But then the second reason is is every one of those different eras, uh, the doctrines are a little bit different that we picked, especially in the second half of the book. Because at different times in church history, different doctrines have sort of risen to the top and, and become not more important than other doctrines, but more hotly contested uh, than other doctrines. And so we wanted the way we tell the story of Christian theology to reflect that development. Uh, there was a sense in which the early church was the era of the Trinity and Christology, and the Reformation era was was the period of, of really talking about what is the church and the doctrine of salvation and questions of authority. And in the modern age, goodness, so many debates about authority and scripture and creation and end and times. And so all of that is sort of reflected. And, and we feel like as scholars and churchmen, that these are the same issues that pastors are wrestling with and that their churches are wrestling with. And we feel like whenever they read that, the latter chapters, that that's going to sound really familiar to them because we've all come of age in a world where people don't automatically trust the authority of Scripture. And there are these big questions about where we all came from and where we're all going. Uh, But what we hope is that uh, as people hear those stories that are more familiar to them, uh, that they'll also be taken back to some of those earlier stories of Christian theology and to to have a more uh, robust way of thinking about uh, how God is triune and, and to think more reflectively about what it means to be the church, not just your local church or your convention of churches in our Southern Baptist context, but what is the church as the, as the body of Christ. And we want uh, historical theology to minister to the ministers by helping them to understand how to situate their own efforts to, uh, to preach the faith once and for all delivered to the saints uh, in continuity with those who've gone before them. Well, and your book and the genre of historical theology, it, it obviously is part instruction, part teaching what the church has confessed. And often the story behind that is to how the church had to fight and wrestle through and uh, pursue clarity and define orthodoxy contra heresy. And so it, it clearly is, uh, is instructive, but also your book, uh, there's a sense in which it's inspirational. And this is not you know just a general church history textbook. Again, it's historical theology. But you still find people and names in here and stories in here. And, and, you know, there is an inspirational aspect of this book for the reader. And isn't that good and appropriate and right? 
because we do draw strength and encouragement from the saints who have went before us, who have wrestled with knotty issues, who have defended the faith, who some who have paid the ultimate price for the church, yielding up their lives for the proclamation of the gospel. So again, thinking about, about that reflection and our ministry moment and those who are engaged in local church ministry, were you guys thinking not just to inform the mind, but hopefully to encourage the heart and perhaps even to uh, to, to strengthen the conviction of the readers, Dr. Dusing? Absolutely. I mean, the, one of the great things is, and as you know well, I mean, pastoring especially can be lonely um, and, and incredibly hard. And um, um, reading this and knowing who's gone before, we hope that it instills and puts courage into people and encourages them in the process, just helping them to know that even though what I'm going through here in this particular context is is really trying and not few people understand, I know I'm not alone. I, I've seen other people stand and trust God's kindness and his providence and working uh, throughout history. And so uh, what I'm doing is not so much really even that remarkable uh, what I'm going through because I'm just, it's my turn. I'm taking my place and standing for the faith once delivered throughout history. So we do mean for it to be very much that way. And we also mean for this to be readable. I mean, admittedly, it is a textbook by, by design. We, there are no footnotes in this. There's, there's discussion questions and recommended reading. Uh, it, it really follows another great book that Nathan helped uh, edit and write, um, The Baptist Story, in that way, and that we mean for it to be for people to pick up and, and read through or, or to reread sections and be refreshed um, by the facts as they took place. So, Nathan, let me try to pull this together with a final question for you, and that is this. Uh, how would you encourage pastors, teachers, uh, to actually use this book in the classroom, in the context of the local church, uh, to encourage the people of God? Again, whether it's the 19-year-old student in Bible college or a Christian university, uh, the 24-year-old student uh, at a seminary context, or the 48-year-old pastor who is going to be speaking on Wednesday night to people ranging from you know the teenage years to octogenarians out there. How might this book be used in those settings to strengthen the church and those who comprise it? With the church in particular, um, I mean, we, we know the book is going to be used. Well, we hope the book is going to be used as a textbook. It was certainly written for that purpose. And so we hope there's a natural use in an academic setting. But in the local church, you know, Jason Dusing and I, and I think this is true of most of our contributors, but I know this is true of the two of us. God called us to the ministry of the gospel before he called us to be uh, theologians or historians. And, and so we very much wanted to approach this volume as people who— we hope think like pastors and, and who love pastors and want to come alongside pastors. And so we see this book very much as a resource for pastors and other teachers in the church to help them to dig a little bit deeper and to situate the way that they are forming their doctrine, their, their congregations doctrinally uh, with the wider church and, and to have more voices to engage with that are, that are interpreted from other ministry-minded guys who think like them, uh, you know, the, the, they're engaging with with evangelical Baptist interpretations of of historical theology, and so we very much see it as a a resource to supplement the preaching and teaching ministry of the church. But I also think that, especially those churches that have opportunity because of of size or other resources to either be multi-staff or multi-pastoral, whatever that looks like in their context or to have any sort of sort of internship program for uh, for younger men who are aspiring uh, to the ministry of the gospel. This is a great book for uh, kind of a church staff reading group or a pastoral team or elder team or something like that 
uh, as well as a great book to, uh, to again, take an intern through or, or to take a, a young man who's wrestling with a call to the ministry through. And, and we think it has great value uh, in that sort of way, too. I'm not sure that this book is going to get a lot of play in, uh, in men's groups or ladies' groups or, or youth groups, but we hope that it can certainly uh, help those who are leading those groups uh, to think theologically and, and to think robustly about the great things of God as they're, as they're teaching and leading others. Well, friends, I want to thank you for your book and for the conversation today, and I want to commend it to our listeners. Again, it's Historical Theology for the Church, uh, out with B&H Academic, and uh, I want to encourage you to get a copy and to enjoy it and to read it and uh, to share it. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. It's a great pleasure. It's a real joy. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.